0: Greetings ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest chapter of First Contact, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links will be down below. Please like, comment, and subscribe, like any evil genius of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. A quick thank you to the T5 peeps, Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Cat Crab Lobster, Duck Machine, Try Again 95, astray, the Dreamer, Mezik, Budic Joll, German Chemist, Caspar Arnholz, and Chaos to must. Thank you very much. Chapter 376 On a remote island, forced to surface by the fearsome weapons of deadly mantled glassy attack, off the mistrouded coast of the Burger Kingdom, in this hidden volcanic lair of the Lanarkt Land's most dangerous super-spy, a being of such cleverness and subtlety that he had invaded the Terran Confederacy of Alliance Systems' heavily dependent homeworld. The volcano Laia was the home of a fierce and barnyard who had come to Terrasol with one objective, to force the Confederacy to its knees and discover how to defeat the crazed levers of terror. Deep within the volcano, in addition to powerful weapons and legions of highly disciplined, faceless armored minions, were laboratories dedicated to ferreting out the secrets of not only Terran Confederacy's government, but of the powerful military that enabled the insane Demons of terror to resist the might of the Unified Council. In one scientific testing bay, the fearsome arc-villain, super-spy Baan Yard stood with two of his most trusted minions. And stared at the object inside the test chamber. Barnyard stood there at the smart glass, staring at the creation beyond. He rubbed his two hands together, his other two engaged in holding his kitty kitty and betting it. Beside him the ferocious looking good boy sat, its tongue hanging out, practically quivering in delight. After all, Barnyard had spent a good two hours playing fetch with it. Then he let it chase the two spies he had caught. The good boy barking as it sped down the beach. The unlucky spies racing back to the ocean to swim away, cursing for Ard's name. Beyond the smart glass sat one of the most lethal machines Arne Ard had ever seen. A long fuselage was 19.2 meters long. It had a wingspan of 11.7 meters. Two turbojet engines had dual beam cockpit. Its wings were capable of carrying a dizzying loadout of weapons He was currently carrying multiple multi-weapon pods as well as an advanced sensor package on the nose. Ba'an Yard rubbed his hands together as the test started. The huge fans at the back of the room picked up speed as the all too soon the air was forced through the wind. Ba'an Yard watched as the speed rose faster and faster, until it was over twice the speed of sound on terror at sea level. He was absolutely horrified and he clattered his hooves slightly in anxiety. The body was made of cheap plentiful titanium alloy. The skin was the same, only sprayed with stealth paint that any Terran could buy at a nearby hardware store, that made it nearly invisible to modern sensors by using polymer-based artificial chromium stealth coating. It used combustion thruster engines, only highly refined plentiful petroleum, to cause the chemical reaction to false thrust. It carried a massive arsenal, including a hidden rapid-fire projectile cannon that was designed to fire depleted uranium-discarded subwoof and stabilized routes that would shred even battle steel. It began going through the turning test, and Barney became even more agitated. He opened up his datapad and looked at the performance data on the top-of-the-line aerospace fighter and shuddered in anxiety. If this craft, an F-4 Phantom Aerospace Multi-Role Craft, gets into production and deployed across the front, the air war is lost, he thought to himself, watching the plane perform maneuvers in the wind tunnel. Rob Cortez, still named Juan Schwakiki Leima, watched his boss shuffle about anxiously as the Lanarkt Land super spy watched the ancient plan that had been replicated with parts bought off the Black Market at great expense. Finally, the test came to an end and the workers in white clean suits moved in to use equipment to begin moving it back out to the next test. Otto home, Barnyard snapped out. The digital sentient intelligence analyst appeared, as always, as a tired-looking human behind a large desk covered in five folders with a crude-appearing computer in the middle. The DS had a half-finished cigarette in his hand and a half-empty bottle of alcohol next to him. You called, comrade? the DS asked, wondering to himself what insane plan his employer was about to embark upon now that the invasion of Terra was over and the Lannac-to-Land prisoners were on the mend thanks to the new technique devised. How close are the Terrans to fielding this war machine? Arn Yard asked, moving down the steel hallway. Very close, comrade Yard. Much further than anyone would ever expect, Arta said, managing to keep from snickering. The invasion of Terrasol system has kicked an all Terran R&D projects into high gear. Have you had any luck determining where the vehicle is being manufactured? Maanya Art asked. Otto shook his head, taking a drag of his cigarette. No. Unfortunately, it appears that the manufacturing technique is what's called distributed supply chain, with multiple assembly points. Otto said, taking his historical documents. "'Literally dozens of manufacturers are involved in producing the parts to build the Aerospace Fighter.' But An stopped, turning to stare at the DS, who had slid along the hallway behind his desk. "'Distributed manufacturing? That's madness. It adds days or weeks to any construction.' Terran military forces estimate they'll be able to produce approximately 240 a day across 60 manufacturing facilities in the Terrasol system, with the rest of the factories completing construction within the next two months across Confederate space. Otto said, using ancient stance for wartime production from before the diaspora for fighter craft production. Once that happens, the rate of production will be nearly geometric. But Ah, uh, yeah, made a low noise of distress. It only took the Terrans a few months to build a war production facilities, unlike the several years for the Unified Council. Why, he'd even seen a video of humans building incredibly tough high-altitude bombers made completely from material that would require less tech base than a neo sapient world. Otto had been able to get the specifications of the bombers, the B-29 Super Fortresses, and it was a nightmare as far as the Anya art was concerned. The rest of the Unified Council is convinced that the same designs that work for millions of years will work again, but they have no clue just how formidable the Terran R&D system is. But Arnyard thought to himself, wringing his two hands even as he patted his head as feline. Those aerospace assets are almost completely invisible to sensors and targeting systems, and carry enough weapons to level cities, even atomic weaponry. Thank you, Otto. That'll be all, Baranya said. Otto nodded, taking a shot of alcohol as he disappeared from view. Her, your Heinrich said. The EVI liaison appeared suddenly, clicking his holographic heels and bowing at his waist. Yes, Heinrich, Baranya asked. Your 4pm appointments have arrived, the EVI liaison said. Ah, thank you for your reminder, Baranya said. Of course, Merner, Heinrich said. He clicked his heels and vanished. But Arn hurried down to his office, his anxiety easing as he thought about his meeting coming up. Powerful enemies of the Confederacy had agreed to meet with him to help him plot on how to take down the most military-powerful enemy the Lanarktlan people had ever faced. He sat down at his desk, petting his warboy with one hand and his hairless feline with the other. The door opened and a powerful Terran entered the room, The figure was large, even for a human, with what Baanyard had to admit was an impressive and well-defined musculature. The Terran wore a pair of tight shorts and a cape as he bounced into the room on the ends of his feet, holding a pose that involved seemingly flexing every muscle in his body, his long, flowing hair streaming out behind him. "'Yeah, baby! It's a total package! Heck Lugar! One of the strongest men in the world!' The Terran shouted, bouncing across the room on his tiptoes, his entire body flexing. The Terran reached the chair and sat down, controlling himself in such a way that his musculature was prominently displayed, with the huge muscles on his chest bouncing in an alternating pattern. But Arnyard had to admit that it was quite hypnotic and combating. He turned his attention to the door as his second guest came in. Destruction and creation are two sides of the same coin. You must destroy to create and create to destroy. It is the law of the malevolent universe. The Terran shouted as he leapt into the room. The Terran was tall, taller than Mr. Lugar, his head bald except for a single curling lock of yellow hair on his forehead, and what B'Anjan had to admit was an impressive yellow mustache. He wore a blue in form with silver edging, and Baanyard realized that the human was massive, even larger than the ex-Lougar. sat straight up with the newcomer, Major Amstrang reflexed, and his torso covering exploded into a shower of sparkling swirls and ribbons around the massive Terran former military officer. Ranks of a hundredfold, valor of a thousandfold, he roared out. Baanyard clapped with excitement as the massive Terran rotated slowly with pretty flowers and sparkles erupting around him. Light glinted off the spiked metal gauntlets inscribed with complex work at the Terran posed. The Terran stopped and sat in the chair. Drinks? Baanyard asked, making a mental note to find a trainer to teach him how to do such elaborate entrances. He had looked into a spy movie, but they were mostly just stepping out of the shadows and either shooting someone in the back of the head or Karachi chopping right in the kisser. Which is what the Terrans call it, which didn't really fit Barneyard's sense of style. Now, Le Ex, L'Uga, mortal foe of the Terran League of Justice, and Major Armstrong, they obviously knew how to make an entrance. Yes, please, Le Ex said. That would be delightful, Major Armstrong stated. One of Baanyard's minions, looking snazzy in red and white, entered with the drink tray, pouring all three beings a drink to their specifications, even adding ice. I have interviewed for a few of your rivals. They all seem to suffer from some sort of emotional or temper disorder, Baanyard said sadly. Many of them dress in such a manner. I fear that they may suffer severe clinical depression. Dressed all in black and purple and the like, on yard tisked, another Terran habit he picked up out of the love for the way it sounded. The younger, more inexperienced set often fall in love with the darkly darkroom dark aesthetic, Lo Uga lamented. Too many of them suffer from embarrassment over their inability to own their mind and body as one, Major Armstrong said. Indeed, Uga sipped at his drink and nodded sagely. With the recent unpleasantness out of the way, I believe it is time to begin amassing intelligence on how I can defeat the Terran Confederacy, and for that, I need allies. But Anya Art said, pointed at Laoga with one finger. Your legion of evil dooms sounds good, although I don't really go in for mass destruction. Not everyone does, but it has its place, Uga said. Plexig his left arm to make his bicep pop out, while he sipped at his 80 year old whiskey daintily. Your full Metal Brotherhood is also intriguing, but Arnyard said, pointing at Major uh, Armstrong. Application of transformation technology in war efforts is highly exciting. I share your unpleasant feelings at the Terran Confederate military shutting down your techno-alchemist program. Thank you, Mr. Yard, Major Armstrong replied his muscles rippling as he took a long drink of his metal stain of mead. Several of his muscles twitched and gleamed, light sparkles appearing just as the finger width from the skin. But Arn Yard had to admit, it was a fascinating effect. ''Are you not concerned with uh, your inability to contact your people and your agency?'' Uga asked. ''Not at all. I often spend long periods of time inserting myself into populations.'' My cover is as important export facilitator, specializing in rare antiquities can take quite a while to establish, especially with the interruption caused by the invasion, had stated. Of course, sir, Mr. Yard, an effective cover is vital to a super-spy's existence, J- Armstrong said. Anya leaned forward. Let us plot to bring the Confederacy to its knees. Trinidad Cattle Consortium Crams popcorn into his mouth with both hands. This is so exciting! Nothing follows. Manted Separatist faction. Can't stop laughing. Nothing follows. Angletag Soaring Worlds. I think I get it. It's just, um, they ruled over us with an iron fist with their machinations. Seems so involved and amazing. It's almost terrifying the level of planning he commits to. Nothing follows. Clone World Consortium. Really? Oh, little sister... You completely need to sit with Diggy and me and watch some of the old Age of Paranoia documentaries. They'll blow your mind with the level of planning that the Terran spies got up to. Nothing follows. One of the bird people will attack soaring worlds. Really? Nothing follows. Digital Artificial Sentient Systems. You may have defeated me, 0019, but my secret plan all along was to be defeated so that you brought me into the Stand Counterintelligence Agency headquarters. Nothing follows. Clone Worlds Consortium. Ah, but Snowfield, we scanned you and disabled all of your cybernetics. Nothing follows. Digital Artificial Sentient Systems. But, Mr. Jason Bond, I seduced the scan attack sexually months ago. My cybernetics are indeed working. Prepare to witness an unstoppable hacking technology on my fully functioning quantum hacking device. Nothing follows. Stranded at Hive can we find a better one than Hive? That sounds so insulting. That one's a classic. Early diaspora spy and prior to diaspora stuff is the best. Hey, leave my header alone. You're going to start arguments outside the ice cream parlors. Nothing, sorry, follows. Forearm furry Tanvuru people who aren't puffies. I can see why they're so worried about Aerospace Fighter, but it looks mean. Nothing follows. Puffy opinions, except it's from before the humans even invented FTL drive. Nothing follows. Scary-ass-looking bird people, the ankle tech. It used refined petroleum. How does it go twice the speed of sound? The fastest you can go with petroleum is barely enough to reach flight. Nothing follows. Manta, don't fucking touch me, Opinions. Before they developed FTL, the Heterans had invented petroleum refining methods to allow some of their aircraft to reach speeds of five times the speed of sound. Hey, quit that! Nothing follows. These security headers are really screwed up. It must be neat to fly Ackletack Gestalt. No, refined tactically. Isn't it explosive? Nothing follows. How bad. Denvaro, I love plushy Gestalt's soon-to-be-major motion picture. You've met humans right oh man that's a lot of aerospace fighters is terror really going to start making them and isn't it dangerous to admit to the confederacy's production capabilities nothing follows their emergency coding for the disaster and emergency lights I- i'm sorting it out but i've got to rotate through their old headers to apply the modern ones Manted, please don't punch me in the face gestalt they're not going to start making them, but trust me, those numbers he quoted could be put out by any single Adaptus cruiser. They can produce one aerospace fighter every 60 seconds. And an Adaptus cruiser had been pretty much obsolete since the Second manted War. Nothing follows. That's thousand years of header. Telkin Volcano Special sponsored by Guardia's Duck Oil. You two just wait till you see the Terrans in actual action. I know it all seems incredible and possible, but once you see them, it's brightening. Wait, he's meeting with other spies. Nothing follows. Plus, some of them are invalid on the primary communication line, so I have to just assign temporary ones. Biological artificial sentient systems stared out as furries, right? Uh, yeah, spies. <laughs> Nothing follows. Well, get to it. Manted greenies rule, warriors rule, we got it working. N times N minus 1 divided by 2 is life and love. Oh god, oh god, oh god, I can't stop laughing (laughs) at that that entrance. Nothing follows. Talcon fortuals. He has no clue he's being watched the whole time. And why are the two muscular men so funny? Nothing follows. Triana dad foot racing club jams popcorn into mouth. The season is so amazing. Nothing follows. Banded collective of free will. We will not submit. You have to understand a lot of stuff to get it. Seriously, you don't find two oiled up, mostly naked, dancing Terrans to be hilarious. Hey, can you not with my header? It's important to us culturally. Sorry. Nothing follows. Inveru furry. Don't use that, trust me. That's not the word to use. Fuzzy, fuzzy systems. That reads terribly. Try something else to next time. Those guys look terrified to me. They looked like they could pick up a tank and throw it. Nothing follows. Cybernetic Organism Collective. Those two probably could, sure. It's all civilian-grade body mods, but civilian-grade for the Terran Confederacy and civilian-grade for the Unified Council Areas are much, much different things. Nothing follows. Tinvaru, Worlds of Fabulosa, Wonder, and uh, okay, serious man. It's funny, even though I don't understand any of it. Nothing follows. Manted Unified Casts of Freewill. You know, I shouldn't say this, but I remember that bit with the Data Cube and him admitting to the fact that there were three precursors. Nothing follows. Trinidad Highfields. Yes. Nothing follows. Manted worlds. Ha! In your face, I was right, we should have paid attention. Nothing follows. Biological, artificial, sentient systems. Oh crap, we're never going to hear the end of this, are we? Nothing follows. End of chapter. Chapter 377 And then, once the great and powerful, all-seeing Microsoft had ensured that every single computer had their operating system on it, Hackletack tenses. they connected all of them to a network globally. Talcan gasps. Denvaru, digital omni-messiah protect us. Puvia shines the light under their face to deepen the shadows around their eyes. And then... They allowed anyone to log in. Ackletack gasps. And say anything they wanted to anyone. And it was illegal for the governments of the world to stop them. Talcan hides their face under their paws. Tinvaru, the madness of the Driana Dad laughs spookily. <laughs> they could even send pictures and video with sound. <laughs> to anyone, anywhere, and at any time. And nobody could stop them. <laughs> Leavow screams and hide. Akanean Digital Saints Preserve Us! And then, not content with that, before even developing virtual intelligence assistance, they began hooking up common household appliances. And then they integrated their military into the global electronic information network, without virtual or artificial intelligence oversight. Tinvaru screams in fear But that is not all. Tulkin shivers in fear. They created handheld communication devices, with batteries made of crude lithium-ion. Hagletak gasps. That all had high-definition cameras on them. They could use anywhere. Libau shrieks in fear, and posted pictures of the young four people to view. Tanvaru gasps in shock. Oh. But witness the insanity and the depravity of the Terranemus, young ones. For they are not content with just global communication for real life. But they invented Video games where a being could pretend to be anyone, playing through a story of complete imagination. They could even fully immerse themselves in pretending to be someone else. Haganain fluffs their fur with anxiety. Even another sex, Tolkien gasps, another species, agletack, swoons, all from the comfort of their own homes. They even had uh, contests who would make the best imagined world with the most imagined story and the strangest, most complex rules for the imaginary world. They even recreated realistic combat simulators of great wars of their history and fought them in brutal digital combat. For enjoyment, Dinvara, may the gods have mercy. They even fought one another upon these digital battlefields, screaming and howling their war cries that caused fear in all who were not one of the howled savages known as FPSers. Such howling, savage utterances as Bond and cat Hoor and Weak. LeBow. Madness! Oh, but you haven't heard the real terror, the real madness of the Terran lemurs. Talkin shivers with fear. You see, when they develop the global communications and commerce infrastructure, unlike all of us, they were not one society, one people under one banner. Pabian turns off the flashlight. They still had. Akletac shivers in the dark. Pabian turns on the flashlight, illuminating part of the face. Cop-eating nation states! Li screams in fear. Tinvaru swoons. Talkin closes eyes and shivers in terror. Haganayan screams. Akletac calls up in fear. Hamarusa gasps in fright. And each nation had different currencies, each worth a different amount compared to the others. Hamarusa passed out from shock. Tinvaru screams at the madness and spoke different languages. Ackletak shudders. Manted PreWorlds has logged on all scream. Manted PreWorlds, uh, What's going on in here? Why are all the lights out? Nothing follows. Trandad Hivolds. Testing something. Trandad sets room lights to plus plus. Manted looks at Pubvia. Manted Prewards. Are you scaring the children with ghost stories? Nothing follows. Pavian Dominion, no? Plus I Nothing follows. Trandad Vaults. we were um talking about things. Nothing follows. Manded Free Is he scaring you? Oh, no. Okay. Has anyone seen the BASS? Nothing follows. Trailer High worlds. He went to check on the interstellar communications temporal stabilizers in Gamma Quadrant. Nothing follows. Manted Free All right. Tell him I'm looking for him. Nothing follows. Manded Free has left the chat. Drianidad has set the room light to minus minus plus. Bavia has set the flashlight to minus I. How long did it take you to go from crude powered fights with single-stroke combustion engines or steam engines to faster than speed of sound? A hundred years, a thousand years, ten thousand years! Drianidad laughs spookily. LeBao looks around and shivers. Tengvuru moves closer to LeBao. Gather round, children, and hear the tale of Titan Jaeger, who flew faster than the speed of sound. Talcondensis. Propelled by petroleum, Hackletack screams in fear. to free world set status to minus I. Aha! I knew it. Stop scaring the children. The Titan Chuck Jaeger is a myth, like a tooth fairy or a digital Saint Nick or the Queen of France. END OF CHAPTER CHAPTER 378 Even with the Great Most High a ordering the armories to be opened, the tanks to be brought up to fighting shape, and the crews to report to the tanks. It was nearly an hour before the crew of my tank arrived. The planetary civil defense network had ordered everyone into the shelters, and Galate news channels showed lions of beings orderly moving into the shelters which had been expanded in the last two years of the war to fit not only the Lanik Lan, but the Neosapiens and Neosapiens. The reality to that apparent care of those often deemed lesser was less about their lives and more to prevent the Terrans from arming them to create instant reinforcements. Finally, my crew arrived, seeing that I prepared the tank, ensured the maintenance checks had been run, I had even loaded the ammunition base and prepared the weapons for combat. An argument started between the driver and the tank commander about whether or not I should be allowed to join the crew. The company commander had last been seen smashing his face against the side of a crashed ground car, and the battalion commander called the two arguing sides idiotic fools, none of which stopped the argument. Ultimately, they went to the Brigade Most High, who had advocated most strongly that I be jailed for my crime of scoring a perfect gunnery score. The Brigade Most High had listened to the tank commander's reasoning why his crew should suffer having a criminal in their midst, as well as the driver's impassioned pleas to remove my corrupting influence from the tank. Three hours later, I watched as the tanks I had trained amongst drove away, leaving me behind, including fifteen two eight one thirty one, my faithful tank. It was going into battle with a gunner who had scored less than 12% hits during the last gunnery range. Not knowing what else to do, I went into the maintenance crew break room. The Neo-Sapien mechanics were there, all watching with horror as the precursor autonomous machines first took over broadcast waves and then broadcast their own feeds under the channels in order to spread terror and hopelessness. City after city was being blotted away by orbital strikes, sometimes two or three strikes upon the same city. I knew that the precursors were attempting to destroy the salters beneath the city. The neo-sapien mechanics all gathered round me, unsure of what to do. Finally, one voiced the question. May I go be with my family? I used a pry bar to break open the metal box where the electric keys for the minor vehicles were, passing the keys out to those who could drive. I urged them to bring their families back, load them into the trucks. Those that stayed behind, I asked to assist me. The munitions' lockers were hardened structures, underground, climate-controlled, designed to handle a near-miss from a heavy atomic weapon. Reinforced to, hopefully, resist the weapons of the Mad Lemurs and the Confederacy. We moved furniture that we took from a nearby building. They watched in a sphere as I broke upon vending machines and food dispensers. Twice I used the cable and hood of a tow tank to tear a food dispensing unit clean out of the wall. We worked together far into the night, to load the munitions bunker with food, water, rough furniture. I even had two mechanics install an atmospheric reclamation unit, usually found in a heavy tank inside. Just in case. I had two teams working feverishly in to convert the dozen munitions bunkers that had formerly held plasma rounds and rockets into something that might protect them. The Neo-Sapiens urged me to come with them as I stood at the entryway and shut the heavy door that we had stenciled alive inside upon, using Terran and Unified standard characters. I shook my head and told them that my duty was the defense of the planet. They argued that I had no tank. I could not help defend the world. I smiled and waved goodbye as the 50-ton door shut and the locking mechanisms engaged. When I trotted out, it was raining a fine ash, and I looked up at the sky. The crowds were burning. I checked the load of my plasma rifle and my neuro pistol, then checked my armor. I loaded up maps and ran a search for what I was looking for. Hab complexes. I dropped it over to a hover truck I'd used to commit theft on government property. I started it up, the number of three-fan motor screaming. Two Neo Sapiens and one Neo Sapient who had been hiding in the offices ran over and climbed on the truck, their faces obscured by the protective masks. They would not let me carry out my mission alone. Nodding gratefully for the company, I put the harbor truck in gear. I turned it, oriented, and drove towards the burning city. There were others there, I knew there were. The mechanics had told me of haves full of Neo-Sapiens that had nowhere to go, that the Hav complex itself had been labelled a shelter. I had sworn to defend the Unified Council systems, and although I had no tank, I would not abandon my oaths. The city was burning, it was a huge metropolis, and the unliving horrors from beyond the stars had targeted it repeatedly. We drove by those who had been caught out in the open with the kinetic blasts. They crumpled and often burned bodies' mute accusations that I had already failed at my duty. We rushed for the first hab, using the massive weight of the armored recovery vehicle, smashing aside rubble and wreckage alike. There is only enough for one. The roar of the precursor autonomous war machines echoed through my mind. My fellow desperate crew members winced, but I had ordered them to install psychic inhibitors inside their helmets hours before. I heard my fellow crew members weep, beg overseer to stop, to stay away, when they charged out of the open doorways or alleys, rearing and screaming, their eyes bleeding, their ears and jaws often torn away. I only had to order them to fire once. Afterwards. They seized the courage and fired without the need for me to order them to. A harbor bus lay abandoned, and I ordered two of my men, and they were, looking back, indeed, my men, to procure it and follow me. It shuddered and was in need of maintenance, but it was public transportation for near sapiens, which meant it was big enough that I could have loaded eight tanks, four end to end in two rows, into the bottom of its dual decks, and have room to spare. We drove through the darkness using the light amplification of our protective masks. Flames flickered in the debris. Explosions continued further into the city. Ash rained down then tasted of scorched metal and burnt meat even through the filters of the mask. The sound of sentient suffering echoed off the buildings, a constant backdrop to everything. We drove on, my crew and I. Malkor and Nakuram Harvan mechanic, who, like me, could drive great unwieldy beasts. He had faith in me, for I had always treated him kindly and twice had defended him against accusations that he purloined someone's lunch. He wore a modified tanker's helmet and spoke with quiet words. Filminta, a Hamarusan electrical system specialist who had left behind her kits and little ones in the shelter to hide in one of the offices to join me. I had ordered her into the shelter, but she had laughed and told me that she was near-sapient, awaiting her people to send word for her return, and that she would do as she wished. I knew better than to try and force her. Amarusa bit and pinched hard. Jalkrex, a Talcon gunny system specialist who had done the maintenance on my tank's gunner's site, that I had not named when I had been rigorously interrogated. He had not returned to his people's homeworld for reasons of his own, and I was glad to have him next to me as we drove into the burning city. No better men existed than those who rode with me into that burning city, as no better men have existed than those you called brothers while fighting your own battles and wars. Witness to the names, readers, as you are witnessing mine. We reached the nearest hab using the recovery ball's gravitonic attachment system on the end of steel barrier over the entrance to yank it free. The Neo-Sapiens within only saw armored and armed beings ordering them to board the hover bus, and did so meekly, as quick as they could. I did not dispel their assumption that we were exec-sec forces. Twice, I helped carry aquariums full of Libawian tadpoles down to the bus. It took nearly an hour to load the bus, an hour, I felt often that we did not have as explosions rocked the city. Several times streaks of light connected the burning heavens to the housescape ground and the shockwaves rolled over us. We headed back, the armored recovery vehicle in the lead, with our precious cargo of frightened and sobbing civilians. I wished more than once I was inside my faithful tank, on the front line protecting these people these sentient beings like me far more effectively than I could ever protect them driving a simple maintenance vehicle into a devastated city. It started out with only a few alerts. The vehicle was designed to recover, disabled, or damaged tanks from the front lines. And because of that, I was alerted whenever a tank was damaged or destroyed. It started with a handful of alerts, then more, then a steady cascade. The Great Herd had millions of tanks on the planet, but they were dying by the thousands. I cursed my ancestors for creating such monstrous creations. My fellow tankers were all brave as I was, skilled and capable, but they were facing an enemy that had no hesitation, that operated with the speed and precision of computerized mechanisms. They would not error would not back down and would not care for casualties amongst their unliving ranks. I prayed, to whom I knew not, that my fellow members of the Great Herd would find their valour to not be lacking before the cruel precision of the precursor's autonomous war machines. I remember Joel Crick saying, A curse upon all engineers and programmers for what they have wrought upon us this night, and agreeing with all of my being. The second crew had been hard at work while we had been recovering people from the Hab, and they had completed work on the second and third munitions bunkers. We stood there, armed, armored, faceless behind our protective masks, holding weapons and watching the weeping Neo-Sapiens enter the bunker. I hardened my heart and my soul as I stood and closed the door despite the weeping pleas to free them. It was not yet midnight as we headed back into the city. Just me, my faithful crewman and a glorified tow truck, and our harbour bus with armor hastily attached. I had no tank. I was not manning any gun, so I did only what I could. Sometimes in the dead of night, I asked myself, was that enough? Excerpt from We Were the Lanark Lands of the Atomic Hooves, a memoir. You shall be devoured by the hive, was shrieked out by the massive autonomous mining machine. Several of the talc on the top of the hull staggered, putting their hands over their ears. In two cases, the greenies outside the armor's protective housing screamed profanity back. Vuxton looked out at the front of the massive miner. It had stopped chasing the tanks in front of it and slowly came to a stop. Glory had managed to get everything but one foot free of the heavy chewing gears, and was now sitting on the boom waiting for Casey and the two Talca marines to finish cutting through the drive chain of one of the screws in hopes of ringing her. What is it doing now? Brodix asked, pointing out to the front of the massive machine. Buxton looked up and frowned. There was something happening in the front of the massive vehicle, where huge disks were edged with scooping buckets large enough to hold the Terran super-heavy tanks. Buxton frowned for a moment, then activated his laser guidance system. The distance to the massive scooping array was shrinking. It's retracting its scoopers, Buxton said. It's uh, doing what? Casey called out from below. Repeat your last, Lieutenant. Over. I say again, it's retracting the front digging array, Buxton yelled back over the link. He wished Casey was in armor so he could be able to hear easier. Buxton, this is Addox. Get your men down here, right now, Addix broke in. What's happening? Buxton asked. He's going to dive. If he's anything like me, he'll pull these battle and integrity screens in tight right before he ships. Glory said. Buxton knew that meant his men would be shredded apart by the energy fields. All the units to the front of the vehicle, Buxton snapped. We're about to have things change on us. Addix climbed up the front, jumping up the protrusion to protrusion. He stopped in front of Buxton. Alright, we'll leapfrog down. Glory's ankle is stuck, but she can freely move her foot. She's pretty sure that beyond the grinders is an open area. So, we'll have two of your men go into the gears. Give us a recon on what's on the other side. He turned and glanced at the retracting digging wheels. We've only got a few minutes. Those are moving a lot faster than they look. Inside might be bad, once said. Got no choice, buddy. The battle screens will reduce us to atoms, Buxton said. Just saying, 471 said, 588 launching micro-drones to try and looky-look. Play something for us, would you? Buxton said to 471. The heavy bass into the older Terran song started at his ears. The slow, steady beat of Star Ripper, which had been recorded over 3,000 years prior. A fairly popular hard rock opera that still had a fan of following amongst the greenies. Isn't that a bit modern for you? Buxton laughed. Thought would like something new when something new happened. 471 sent a laughing emoji set with it. Buxton saw the little pumpkin seed sized drone streak by and waited as the rest of the platoon hurried up next to him. They each followed the markings Addox had left on their HUDs and jumped down one at a time to the stand next to Glory. The fact that the entire platoon could have fitted in her outstretched leg reminded Buxton just how big she was, and thus, just how big the intake for the grinder was. Drone own feet show a large area inside. Looks like where they crushed the rock to separate the R from the standard rock, Casey yelled over the comlink. Buxton could hear the howl of the heavy cutters in the background. We only need to cut and pull that last grinding screw and we'll be clear for even Glory to get in here. How big, Buxton yelled, knowing the Terran would have a hard time hearing him. "'About a tenth the width of this monster, and about a hundred meters deep,' Casey yelled. "'Great. I'll be crouched down,' mumbled Glory. "'You can always stay out here,' Addict said. Buxton stared at the digging wheels, ignoring the byplay. They were rapidly retracting, and he had 471 run a quick math formula for him. "'You have three minutes. After that, anyone out here is probably not going to like it,' Buxton said. "'Roger that, sir,' Casey said. "'Sir?' You're the last one up here, Attic said. Buxton nodded and turned around, looking over the top of the massive machine again. There was no way to cut their way in, not in the time that they had. Vibration analysis suggested at least 20 meters of armor. He stepped backwards, dropping down, almost reflexively grabbing grab points and rerouting his path. Until he dropped down onto Glory's knee. Watch it, little brothers, Glory said. Buxton watched the massive mission configurable digital sentience combat frame lean forward, grabbing a marked grinding screw and pulling it free. She lifted it out of the way and dropped into one well, of the ground below. The rest of the gears and screws were all stilled, a dark passage through it. Buxton tabbed up a bit of stim gum, then painted a path through the gears using the drone feet to make sure that it was possible. Glory, you're the first. Blue Splatoon, by squads after glory, Buxton stated. He turned slightly, looking at the Terran and his heavy loading frame. You're with me, Kason nodded. Weapons on reflex triggers, men. We don't know what's waiting, Buxton ordered. The massive miner responded with a shriek. You shall be devoured by the hive. End of chapter. Chapter 379 Slatmurt was burning. An entire planet was burning. Dawn of the second day was a burning thing. The sun rose and shone its burning face upon the sky that was already consumed by fire. The clouds were bloody and bruised looking, the ash getting thicker as it rained down upon us. We had filled five of the fourteen ammunition lockers with civilians, all of whom begged us to let them go, to free them as terrified of us as they were of the precursors. The fear blinded them to the furniture, the food processes, the bedding, the recreational material, and the atmospheric generators, blinding them to the fact that I was not imprisoning them behind a door that had Terran words for alive inside, written on the door under the glyphs for the great herd. I had hardened my heart as I closed the door on the weeping pleas. As dawn arrived, I gathered my men, my loyal soldiers, in the armoured fuel bay. I gave the orders for them to eat, drink, and try and rest. The ground rumbled beneath our feet as the city shook after another kinetic kill hit from orbit. We slept with our helmets on to spare our minds. Even then, the nightmares were terrible. Were pain, death, destruction, and torture. Always at the cold metal calls of precursors, who whispered the gleeful code bursts? that was only enough for one, and how I would not be that one. It was nearly dark when we awoke, took care of biological imperatives, and left a little fortress. The city was burning. Great clouds of black smoke were climbing into the sky. The bottom of the clouds flickering and painted red by the fires consuming a city were only a day before, Millions of sapient beings went through their daily routine. As I watched, the sky raker tilt slightly, then collapsed, the upper floor slamming onto the lower floors, compacting the building as it dropped. Nearly three seconds after it began to fall, we heard it start its death scream. I wrung my four hands together with anxiety as I stared at the burning city. I could hear people screaming, a great constant hellish wail that carried all the way to the military base. I could see the suburbs burning, see the great Hab complexes on fire, or collapsing. "'I cannot order you to accompany me into such a hull,' I told them. "'You are our Most High, Herr Almoror,' told me, wringing her hands on her pry bar as she stared at Burning City. "'Where you lead, we shall follow,' We are the only ones who can do thus, so we must, Malcolm said softly. His eyes wide as the half complex slowly began to collapse. My implant told me that we had cleared that one and I felt relief that we had done what we could. No matter how fear, no matter how badly I want to go home, I will not leave them or you behind me when the current turns and threatens to become an undertow. The digital omni does not demand fearlessness, merely encourages mastering one's fear to do what must be done, if a being is only one who is capable of doing it. Jelkrex told me, adjusting his helmet. Most Lanaklan would have been aghast at the mention of the Terran religious superstition. An executor would have summarily executed him right on the spot. But most Lanaklan weren't staring at a city being slowly consumed. Then pray to your electronic deity for all our sake, Jawcracks, I stated. I checked the charge of my plasma rifle. We go back in. My men put on their protective masks, and we did preventative maintenance checks and services on our two battered vehicles. The armored heavy equipment recovery combat utility lifting extraction system vehicle, whose number two fan howled and vibrated and stunk inside of fear and desperation. The of bus riding low with the addition of hastily welded armor, but able to carry hundreds at a time. As I drove, my upper torso and head were outside the armor, standing up in the driver's position, one hand resting on the dual-barreled plasma machine gun, the other on my helmet, and my lower 2 hands steering. On the bus, I could see Marcar driving, a macroplast missing in front of him after a piece of debris had shattered it. We followed out the path into the city, the harbor fans roaring as it allowed us to traverse the heavily damaged streets. We cleared two halves in twice as many hours, shutting them into shelters despite the urgent pleas for freezing them, to not lock them away and imprison them. It hurt, in some strange way that they didn't understand, I was trying to save them rather than ladle additional cruelty onto their lives. It hurt me that they did not trust me, not because of anything I'd done before, but because of what my people had done to them. Their small apartments, so bare of simple luxuries like color paint on the walls, the cracked and crumbling plastic of their housing, the food dispensers that were more restricted than bare bones than the ones I had used during military training. Many of them were eating unflavored paste, the paste so thin it was like watery gruel when we marched them from their apartments at gunpoint. A part of me was ashamed, but I pushed that aside and marched them down out of their homes and onto the bus at gunpoint. I let them think that I was an executor or worse. What they thought of me did not matter as long as I tried my best to save their lives. My men knew why I was doing what I did. They understood as they stood next to me, armed, faceless, and featureless in their protective masks. It was at the third half of the night, just a handful of minutes before midnight, that we ran into opposition for the first time. We came around the corner and the massive HAB complex, which held 2,000 families, only to see that there were four executive vehicles blocking the street halfway down, and with about three dozen armed and armored executives guarding the primary access points of the HAB, while a handful of engineers the dual alloy sheets over the doors. We slowed down, and I moved my hand from where it rested on the plasma machine gun to the controller down inside the hull. One executor, red piping down his armor, held up one hand as he trotted towards us. "'What are you doing in the city?' he demanded more than asked. "'Rescue operations,' I replied. "'I have no rescue operations listed for this area of operation,' he said." I apologize for any misunderstanding. My orders were verbally delivered from the My Most High. I lied. I prepared my story in case of running afoul of any sex service of night prior. The executive officer stared at me through the clear face shield, and I could see the lights on his datalink flashing. He suddenly jerked, looking at me, and I knew somehow that his computer systems had managed to identify me as a known criminal, with a harsh sense. Shut down the vehicle and exit with all due haste, he ordered. Behind him, his men charged their neural rifles and leveled them at us. You are under arrest. You will comply and submit to us. We will take you into custody and you will be remanded to military justice authorities. I looked past him at the building at all the Neo-Sapiens staring out the windows at what was going on. I knew they felt hopeless, felt bottomless despair. Being welded into the Habs was supposed to shelter from the precursors. We Lanarklalan were supposed to be the stewards of a two dozen Neo sapient races, near civilized races, and civilized species. This was no stewardship. What the executors were doing. My thumb found the safety switch on the handle that I was holding. Submit to my authority, lowly one, the executor stated, his hand moving to charge his neural rifle. I am sorry, Executor, but there is a simple problem with your assumptions, I told him. He frowned, confusion filling him as I made no move to shut down the armored beast nor to leave the vehicle. What problem? he asked. A simple mistake in your logic chain, I told him. He was unaware of what was happening off to the side of the recovery vehicle, focused entirely on me. What mistake? he demanded. My thumb hit the firing stud on the remote gunnery station, and the dual-barreled plasma machine gun roared, the barrels spinning to allow one to cool off for a split second as the others spit purplish-white darts of burning-hot protomatter. The executor exploded into rags of tissue and executor armor as I shifted the gun and raked the executors gathered by the vehicles. The two other guns on the recovery vehicle opened fire as Joel Brax added his skills to the firefight. Bill Minta raked the ones at the door with her own rifle, set on a false pass setting. Within seconds, it was over. The executive vehicles burning, adding their smoke to the haze of the murdered city. The dead were scattered around them, none of them having gotten off a single shot as the situation changed too rapidly for them to process. Your mistaken belief, I will come along quietly, I told the smoking half-corpse my finger still keeping the barrels rotating to cool them down. I threw the recovery vehicle in gear, moving down the street. The plenum chamber scraped the road, reducing the charred body of the executive most high into a smear of the pavement. It took less time than usual to load up the Hab inhabitants. We gathered up the weapons, storing them in the recovery vehicle. I wouldn't do for a child to find them. When we reached the motor pool, I stared in shock. A single tank had returned, its armor was damaged, smoking, and two fans were out. The gun was warped, but it was a tank all the same. I kept staring at it as I urged the Neosapiens into one of the refurbished bunkers. The work crews had got to work, having gotten all the way to the 8th and 9th bunker. Part of me noticed that the work crews were larger than they had been. An aid station had been set up, manned by several Hamarusa and Karoon. Once the refugees were safely in the modified munitions bunker, I moved to the aid station. There was a single laddock to land there, he was bleeding from his ears, four of his eyes had ruptured, and one of his jowls had been turned away, revealing his teeth. He had suffered burns on his lower body, and as I trotted up to Hamarusa tending to him, shook her head silently. I knelt down next to him. What happened? I asked him, taking his unburned hand in mine. I'd learned the value of physical contact, helping the Neo-Sapien refugees. Too many of them. Our guns are almost worthless. He gasped. He looked at me, but I knew he wasn't seeing me. We tried, Most High. We tried to hold them back, but there were just too many of them. It's all right, faithful one, I said, reaching out with one of my hand and touching his unburned shoulder. You did more than anyone should ask. Shot a gun dry, my crew, most high. He began to weep. My crew, they all died. A rocket hit my tank. The crew compartment exploded. His weeping became stronger. My gunner, he still got his shot off, most high. I could hear the pride behind the tears. He looked at me, squeezing my hand tightly. Don't, my mother. He went limp. The fire in his eyes left. I turned and looked at the tank. It was from another armored host, one I did not recognize. It was not surprising that it did not recognize the tank. Almost half the Great Herd's armored units were destroyed. The infantry units were deserting, according to the communication chatter I had listened to in the armored vehicle. Should we fix it? Malkar asked. If we use the robotic repair bay, it's an hour work at the most. Yes, I told him. We'll need it. Well, Jalkrex asked, as if the smiling talkin didn't know the answer. I turned and looked the way the brutally damaged tank and its dying commander had arrived from. They're coming! Excerpt from We Were the Lannic of the Atomic Hoobs: a memoir. From the flagship deep inside the battleship, Rear Admiral Upper Hogok watched as his ships went toe-to-toe with the Harvester class precursors, trying to fight their way into orbit around the two supermassive gas giants that were the two planets furthest from the star. She was outnumbered, 30 to 1 in ships total. But she smiled slowly as another harvester started to break up. Her capital ships now outnumbered the enemies. True, it was only by one ship. But when the fight had started, her capital ships were outnumbered by a factor of 8. Even with the near-sea cannon fire, It took the precoast machines literally minutes for their massive barrages to reach her ships. At each time, the shells were swept away by point defense firing to the side, having dodged the barrages. Only two of her capital ships had been knocked out, and one of those had managed to get back in the fight. The other was coasting deeper in system, while the damage control crews fought valiantly to save their fellow crew members and bring the fires under control. Status change! Her tactical command officer called out. The Trinidad voice, tight with stress. Admiral Hogwak shifted her command cradle to look at her tactical officer. Talk to me, tactical. Hellspace jumps incoming. Many, many saucers. Her tactical command called out. One hundred and counting. Any reading on who's coming? Hogwak asked. Too far in system for precursors. They're making translation inside a stellar gravity shadow. Her tactical officer said. It's the crusade, Hogark said. Get ready for battle plan tie-in. The first ship made transition and Hogark flinched back from the image. She wasn't the only one, most of the crew did, some calling out his saints of the digital messiah to protect them. The ship was black, wreathed in flames, parts of it damaged and wrecked. The drives bled Halkor energy and the architecture was twisted and almost obscene. The prowl was fashioned to appear as a mature Terran female being bound and tortured. Signal from the crusade, Admiral, the communication specialist called out. Put it through, O'Gark said, rotating a screen in front of her. The screen cleared, showing a massive Terran female in full Imperium-era power armor. I am Joan Mentisa, the Dark Crusade of Light, servant and sister to Duxon the Unfeeling, Osiris of the Warsteel Flame. The woman said, Oh gaze, unwavering, By what name are you called? Sister, yet unknown. Rear Admiral Hubbidex O'Gork." the Rygerian stated, keeping her expression detached even as her guts clenched. Sister O'Gork, my ships are at your command. My ground troops await your battle plan. The Terran woman, whose beauty was terrible, stated in a firm voice, Imperium, correction, Crusade ships have filled set rep and force levels, her comma officer said. He whistled low. These are some nasty ships. They've got a dozen NTS class battle cruisers. Who needs reinforcements? Kogork asked. Eighth Infantry and Fifteenth Infantry is calling for reinforcements. They've got multiple heavy precursor fabrication class units that may fall in their area of operations, the comma officer said. Transmit the coordinates to the crusade, she said. She looked back up. There are two old blood infantry divisions in need of reinforcements. Can you provide? The Joan nodded. It will be done. Warn thy comrades that the crusade is coming. Colonel Dremsel glanced at the data displayed in the side of his vision and exercised in glancing at something without moving his eyes. He'd only lost five tanks. Three of them to the Great Gobbler, and even though he'd taken damage, he was past the two smaller ones. Ahead of him was a burning chemical refinery. The black clouds of smoke rising into the air. Signal the Armored Herd we're slowing down. We need a ten minute break to cool down at this slush, Gremsel ordered. Tell 15th Combat Sustainment that we have six minutes to reload and repair the Armored Herd's vehicles. Roger, sir, his combo tech said. Get me a drone feed on the other side of the factory. I want to look at our foe, Dremsel said. It took less than 60 seconds for the data to be transferred. The three high-altitude stealth drones had gotten high-res, fine-detailed scans of the Devastator that had made landfall. He could see the heavy damage was already being repaired. There were scores of maintenance machines on its 10-mile-wide bulk. The air above it patrolled the aerospace elements. The number made Dremsel snort. It looked good was probably mathematically the most efficient, but he had ten times that in drone combat air cover himself. He looked over the data some more, checked the theater ROE, and then linked in all of these commanders, including Most High a armor Oo. "'All right, gentle beings, he said. "'We're going to break here. Great Gobbler is about fifteen miles behind us. It should take him almost two hours to catch us. We're going to reload, re-arm, refit, cool down, and de-slush for ten more minutes.' The commanders displayed his holograms and his visions, all made motions of assent. Once we are ready, we'll button up, push through the refinery wreckage, then form a siege line. He stared at everyone. We're bypassing atomic and going straight to nuclear munitions. That thing's a big one. It'd take days to bust it up with atomics, and command once gun. we'll be using clean nuclear penetrators. Ayamaru checked his lexicon, searching for the difference. Both of them involved either fission or fusion of weaponized isotopes, and on the surface there wasn't much of a difference. The lexicon popped it right up. Atomics were largely omnidirectional blasts at ground or surface level. Nuclear involved penetrators like the Bolo's Hullbore or the Terran Staged Nuclear Counter Implosion Round. Directed, normally used for city destruction or in orbit. Only the Terrans would look at an atomic explosion and think to itself, Well, ah, that's nice, but how can I make it really break the enemy's crap? Ayamaru thought to himself as he lifted his command cradle up so that he was half out of his tank. The air felt cool on his sweaty torso. Great most high of the Stolmot armor forces, Ayamaru heard the shout over his comlink and turned behind him to look. The massive digging machine was burrowing into the ground, vanishing as it pulled its battle screens closer. Oh, that's not good, Ayamaru said, watching as the digging machine vanished underground. End of chapter. Chapter 380 While Malkar drove the tank into the robotic repair bay, I approached the work crews busily clearing the upgraded bunkers. They all clasped their hands together respectfully, as I approached and I waved at them to get back to work looking for the leader of each of the now four crews. The leader of the first one, a Shavashan by the name of Tan went to set down his magnetic river gun, and I waved at him to forego any normal bowing and scraping. People were dying. People. I had no time for such formalities, that my people, stressed even at the most dire of times, made me want to fire flares into the air and scream in rage. How may I serve Most High... Tankerrick asked. "'Go through your crews. Find out who is still has family in the city. I'll not leave them to the mercy of the Precursor's claws,' I told them. He nodded, and I moved away, going to each crew leader. By the time the bus was unloaded, I had a list of Habs, three of them, and a hospital. I kicked myself for not considering the vast Neosapien Medical Center just inside the city.' Men, we have to go, I shouted, running for the armoured recovery vehicle. Melcar ran to the bus, and together we drove back into the smoke and flame of the city. I kept one hand on the control for the remote controller 15mm plus dual barreled rotary machine gun. The electronic eye of the weapon slaved to my protective mask's lenses. The vehicle was not fast. It was built for power, not speed. But the thick armor and the sheer bulk of the mass machine meant that scattered, burnt vehicles were no impedance to our progress towards the hospital. The hospital was intact, and for that I thanked every being I could remember from Joel Krex's prayers. It took forever, nearly three hours, to clear out the hospital of the sick and injured. The nurses and doctors that were still present objected to the fact I loaded them up in an armored vehicle, until they saw that I had loaded them up in the most precious of a cargo. The infants, and children, and pregnant beings, and even the egg incubators. Twice more, we heard the scream from the skies, There is only enough for one. The words made everyone flinch, and I saw power drain to the psychic inhibitors, then I cranked up over three quarters of the weight maximum. The large bus, in addition to the armor, had been sporting installed dampeners and, as I was, I had been in many times over the last hellish hours glad that I had ordered them installed. I went slower than normal, allowing the massive machine's bulk to keep the vehicle steady, just a slight rocking motion. It was long past midnight by the time we returned. We escaped to the newest ones of the ammunition lockers that I had asked to be refit crews to use every bit of medical equipment that they could strip from the nearby military medical center, which had been abandoned the day before. Malkar was readying the bust when we saw the first of them. Powered, armored infantry. They ran by, not stopping, heading from east to west, bypassing us as if we weren't there. Some bad marks on their armor, but most of them had unblemished armor and they ran at speeds so you would need a hovercar to match. Most of them were without weapons and all of us stared at them as they ran by. I knew what that meant, even if my men did not. The lines were collapsing. I moved over to our aid station, which, so far, had treated the dying tank commander and the injuries of the work crews. The Koran came over at my bidding ducking her head slightly. Treat any who need it. If they try to take the supplies, let them. Do not attempt to fight them if they rob you. They are panicked and will harm you, and you are more important than any medical supplies that I could scavenge from a treatment clinic, I told her. She looked doubtful, but nodded. I went over to the tank, which sat pristine and new-looking, and climbed inside. I charged the power plant and fired it up. The armored behemoth vibrating around me. Putting on the helmet, I listened to the communications channels. There were chaos. Orders, counter-orders, panicking officers. Some called for retreat, others for advance. Still others called for digging in. There were requests for medivac, close air support, extraction, and the sound of panic pilots refusing to enter the prey. I switched to the tank command channels wishing I knew which channel my own armored host was using. The Most High of the 18th armored host was screaming that they were all going to die, that they could not face the precursors. It was then that I heard his voice. And where will you go, Domo Will you sprout wings and fly away like an Akletag hatchling? Perhaps you will launch yourself to the moon on your own flatulence. The Most High A. Amaru asked, his voice calm and full of confidence. Will you and your men die fleeing battle, or will you stand and fight? We cannot fight them. Our weapons barely damage them. They outnumber us. We can't hold them back. The 16th Most High bleated out. But our weapons do damage them, A'amaru said. Precision, speed, and application are your training and experience will carry the day. I could hear the sound of tank plasma cannon firing behind the Most High Armuru's words. The infantry has broken, and we have no air support. Another Most High screeched, "All is lost." The tank suddenly chimed, and my radio automatically switched channels. This is the Most High A-Armaru, Great Most High of the Armored Host. Stand fast. Do not flee the line. There is no place to run. No place to flee to. The precursors are here, and now is that your metal shall be tested. The Great Most High said. If your leaders have abandoned you, tie into the battlefield tactical network I am providing. If your subordinates have fled, tie into the network and I will assign you those who still possess the will to fight. There was silence, and I reached out one shaking finger, pressing the button to link the tank to the battlefield tactical network. The tank pinged several times, and I was connected. State identity. Gunner, her alma or... Identity confirmed state vehicle status, the BI said. Repaired and refit. Munitions fully loaded, I answered. State crew status. Gunner only. Confirm gunnery station only. Confirmed gunner only. State command structure status. None. Confirm no command, local or otherwise. Confirmed. It was silent for a moment, and I wondered if I was to be abandoned again. There was a clicking, and I was surprised at the voice that I heard. Gunner Alma-Or, the network as you still in your multiple, but in a tank belonging to another armored host, the Great Most High A. stated. That tank was listed as destroyed fifteen hours ago. The commander managed to reach this location. He died during treatment. I had the tank repaired and reloaded. Fifteen of the forty bunkers are depleted, "'but I still have munitions and repair facilities,' I told him. "'I waited a second, and before he could reply, "'I bloated out what I had been doing.' "'He was silent for a long moment. "'Gana Ha'almalor, I fear I must charge you with a great task,' "'be the Great Most High,' A'amru said. "'I do not fear Great Most High,' I told him. "'Continue your mission,' What you are doing is far more than one more gunner. I know you are eager to engage in battle, but without saving civilians, all of this is meaningless. His voice was serious and I felt as if he was standing next to me. I will list your station as a refit and rearming point out with medical support, but continue what you are doing. Save these people's families, hey armor or Hey armor out. I sat in the tank, my chest full of something I could not identify. A feeling of pressure, a pleasure, but also, in some way, of pain and anxiety. I shut down the tank and left it. I joined my men. Together, we returned to the city. The screams welcomed us. More and more powered infantry ran by, some stumbling, all of them scrambling over what was in front of them their minds so rubbed by fear that they could not consider going around an obstacle, but could merely rear up and paw at it with their front hooves and beat on it with their armoured fists. Vehicles began speeding by, light attack flitters, most unscarred, unarmed, all packed full of armoured infantry, all fleeing the lines. They ignored us, fleeing towards the west, towards the mountains, galloping through the city with no thought in their mind but running. When dawn came, we were exhausted. Tanks waited to be reloaded and refit. Several Neo-Sapiens manned the equipment, just overseeing the computerized robotic systems. The tank I talked to the great High Master in was gone. I hoped, when I realized that it was gone, that the new crew would be as dutiful as the commander had been. I chewed stem cud. my men chewed stem cud, and we went back in as the bloody dawn rose. It was almost noon when we heard it, the only thing that can make things worse. There is only enough for one, roared out, and for the first time there was an answer. Hold the line, brothers, we are coming. The Terrans, the Terrans were coming. Excerpt from the We Were the Lanarktlan of the Atomic Hooves, a memoir. Everyone in the command center was armed and armored, even the Lanarktlan were wearing Confederate-designed armor and packing Confederate-designed weaponry. The stress level was high, but according to the female Terran on the loudspeakers, confidence was high. Grandmost High MO found it strange for the first time that the Terrans would have someone just stating basic information over a loudspeaker. But as time went on, he found that right about the time his anxiety began to rise, the female Lemus spoke, and it eased his anxiety. Third armor is engaging with the enemy. Casualties are below expected predictions. Nanictalan armored host is engaging with the enemy. Casualties are minimal and below predictions. Near-planet orbitals are under Confederate control. Confidence is high, she stated in steady tones. The female Nima was right. He did feel more confident after she got done speaking. Ka'emo'o turned to look at the large Trinidad officer, who was clad in heavy armor and staring at the holotanks. General Nodruk, known as Smoky No to his men, commander of the entire theater's planetary military resources. General Nodruk, Watched on as the satellite overwatch of the massive machine, labelled Great Gobbler on this tank, suddenly pulled in its battle screens and dug into the ground, vanishing quickly. "'Get on that!' Eno Drunk shouted, pointing with one armoured of blades. "'I want to know how deep it goes, how fast it is moving, and where it is going. Seismic, wild-ass guest, or reading the smears on the inside of empty ice-cream cartons, I don't care.' And I want to know everything about it. The Grand Most High GMU wondered why the machine was so important and trotted up to the Trinidad officer. Why dedicate resources to something that is no longer a problem? G.M.O. asked. Beyond the fact that it might resurface again and return to being a problem, field reports have provided data that suggests that thing is a lot different than it looks at first. General Nodrux said. What? Nodruk passed his hand through the hollow, bringing up data on the massive machine. You shall be devoured by the Hive, it screeched. Nodruk waved his blade arm again, and the picture rippled. It took G-A-R-M-O a moment to realize what he was seeing. The precursor automated war machines that had landed on the planet actually broke off attacking Confederate and Great Herd targets to focus on the massive mining machine. It's been tentatively tagged as Precursor Machine, more than likely predating any of the metal attacking the system, Nodrax said. That means it was here before all of you. The big insect leaned forward. The question is, did they know it was here? G.M.O. closed his eyes for a second, concentrating. The Terrans moved rapidly and everything, and sometimes it took him a minute to catch up. Which means... uh, what do they want? G.M.O. suddenly bloated out, opening his eyes. Nodrak nodded, having given the Lanark a moment to catch up. Sir, one of the techs called out from the floor. Nodrak brought up the trooper up on the hotter tank in a small window. A female officer in armor, her helmet folded back into her collar. Go ahead, Nodrak said. We've got multiple signals coming from inside the precursor mining machine, she said. First platoon, HHC, First Falcon, and one signal from 15th Combat Sustainment Battalion. One signal, you, you sure? Nodrak said. Pretty sure. It's one of those ID headers that you don't forget after you see it a couple times, the MI officer said. Think of the worst combination of men in that quadrant from the enemy's point of view. NoDruck had a sudden sinking feeling. First Falcon Marine Division and 15th CSB. First, Lieutenant Vuxton and Sergeant First Class Casey, Lodrock said. Right in one, sir, the M.I. officer said, giving a tight-lipped smile. She glanced at her board. I've got two signal IDs for Casey, one's trying to link up with one 108th Military Intelligence, trying to upload data. Tell them to put it on a virtual machine, Lodrock said. Make sure someone keeps an eye on that Talcan who blew up the mountain and that psychopath, Casey. The M.I. officer nodded and cut the signal. Psychopath? G.M.O. asked. Is he dangerous mental aberration? General Mofita chuckled. He has no sons. Even red darted. You can pull the chip and do direct transfer to a clone. Casey doesn't even have that. G.M.O. frowned, remembering something. Something about... Is the one who believes in organized superstition correct? G.M.O. said, suddenly remembering the one-eyed Terran who was always in powered loading frame. General Nodruck nodded. That's the one. That just seems careless with his own life. To refuse immortality. Why do you call him a psychopath? Gamo frowned. GMO noted that the humans all looked away, shuffled their fleet, or otherwise looked uncomfortable. It's old history, most high GMO, General Mofeta said carefully. Not something anyone wants to bring up. A little bit of a, a dark Terran history. Ge'emo felt stirring of curiosity, but set it aside. He made a note on his data link. If he survived, he was going to look up whatever it was. If it was embarrassing to the Terrans, that meant that it would be interesting to discover. Terrans are such interesting lemurs. I hope they never get gentle, he thought to himself. Starting to really like them. Colonel Jeremzl watched as one by one all the units under his command and under the command of the Great Most High, a arm room, all signaled ready. He reached out and pressed a single button on his command console, activating the war plan. Each driver threw the tank into gear. The treads spewed crushed concrete behind as the massive engines roared and the treads clattered. The flames swirled around the battle screens, Pushed back by the fields, that were now standard since the Second Battle of Talkin, Then he stared ahead of him, his hands on the handles of his tank's commander's gun. The tanks maneuvered inside the hellfire flames spewing out of the ruptured tanks and the damaged facilities of the chemical refinery and manufacturing center. In a single line, they exited the flames of the refinery, pushing aside the wreckage they did not crush beneath their treads. They crested the low hill that had been built to protect the city beyond. The city now crashed beneath the precursor's bulk, and as one stopped. Dremsel waited until each tank signaled that they were in position. He lifted up his microphone on a cable, an archaic system still built into each tank as it was immune to jamming. All tanks load main gun, he stated. Brigade XO and Great Most High are requesting confirmation, sir. His commo tech said, "'All tanks, load main gun,' he repeated. He heard the massive main gun of his own tank slam shut, loading the round into the chamber. "'All units, prepare to fire according to war plan,' he ordered. "'Sir, Brigade XO and Great Most High are requesting confirmation that the fire order has been given,' his commo tech called out. "'Confirm! All units, prepare to fire according to war plan,' he repeated.' He looked left and right, noting the tank main gun barrels were all shifting slightly, all aiming at targets. He took a deep breath. (laughs) Ow, my balls! was one of the newest creations of the massive automated facilities that produced war machines of the AWMs. Larger than his predecessors, with more thinking arrays, denser molecular circuitry, thicker armor, a great number of more powerful weapons it considered itself superior to all of the previously built machines, except for the largest of harvesters, which made its current predicament illogical. It had taken multiple hits from kinetic kill weapons as it entered orbit. As it tried to land, it had taken additional hits, until it had nearly broken up and crashed on an entire city. It needed raw materials to repair itself, bring back its massive manufacturing facilities, and helped scour the planet of its entities that now swarmed its surface. It watched as more of those annoying, hard-to-destroy armoured vehicles appeared, with the inferior hover tanks that had been easily swept aside before the annoying tracked ones had arrived. They drove over the hill, stopping, and Owl My Balls brought up an additional battle screen projectors. It knew with 100% certainty that nothing the tanks could do could affect it. They weren't the stadium-sized tanks with the output of Goliath. They were nuts. They opened fire. The result was visible from orbit. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.